baby. Welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. My name is Joe. I am your host. And with me is my good friend, Ben, from the Real Wolf Record Club panel. Oh, guys, 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 guys. I am so excited for our show today. Um, I know I say that a lot, but I got a few reasons. Number one, first of all, uh, not the least of which, is I did not break my elbow yesterday slipping on ice for the first time in my Midwestern life. Yeah. Uh, I slipped on ice. I bled through two shirts and a suit coat and I went and found out I just have a cut that requires a staple. Uh, No broken bones, nothing like that. That's number one. That's, that's, that's success. Number one Um, success. Number two. And reason I'm excited today is because we are talking about one of the great, great prog rock albums of all time. In fact, a record that's been called the greatest prog rock album of all time by one of the greatest prog rock bands of all time a record that charted at number four on the UK albums chart and was certified platinum, a record that clocks in at 37 minutes and change featuring just three tracks that, that to me sounds like at times the soundtrack to some Scandinavian epic and every video game released from the 1980s. It was an album that was (laughs) apparently inspired by everything from the Lord of the Rings to a Herman Hesse novel, Siddhartha. It melds hooks, beautiful acoustic riffs, keyboards, unique time signatures, epic crescendos, and even at times, birds. You could say so much more. But of course, we are talking about the crowning achievement of the band, Yes, and their 1972 epic, Close to the Edge. But the last reason, the last reason I'm excited for our show is because our guest joining us today Ah, he's a legendary guitarist. He's released critically acclaimed solo work, including a combined 21 records as a solo artist and founder of TR3, a band pushing the boundaries of rock, jazz, blues, classical, reggae, who's been nominated for two Grammy Awards for his work with the Dave Matthews Band, of which he's been a longtime collaborator and a lead guitarist since 2008. And if you're like me, you've known about him since his joint release with Dave Matthews, none other than Live at Luther College, an iconic live album that peaked at number two on the Billboard US 200 upon its release in 1999. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is one of the most respected guitarists working in music for the past 40 years, whose work is diverse, experimental, and inspiring with each new record. Folks, we are talking to the one, the only, Tim Reynolds. Tim, welcome to the Real Wolf Record Club. Thank you, man. Your description humbles me. (laughs) You wrote it. You did it, man. I just said it. What did I do? I said all those things. Well, but I mean, oh I, you know, on that though, you've done all this stuff. And then I just looked up and saw what you did in 2022. Uh, you toured with TR3, with Dave Matthews Band, played Farm Aid, released a live record. I mean, have you slept? And if so, when? <laughs> well, I'm kind of in a, a rest mode due to a thing I'll try to explain really quickly. I had to have this back surgery because last year i think in october september right before i went in the studio to do a tr3 record uh we had just had a hurricane here so our house was fine but there was just a mess of leaves and giant tree branches all over the fucking place so 
I have one day to teach my wife. I've done a lot of the work and I already have like back issues and some broken rib issues, but you know, I can do stuff. So I was like, let me get out there and fucking kick some ass. Sorry. Just kick some ass and clean up all this shit, which I did when I started noticing man, my legs getting a little ouchy. And then I realized, oh, let me mow the grass. Cause that'd be one more thing I get done. So I mowed the grass and I realized all through that, like, man, this leg you know, it's fucking with me. So long story short, I went to the record. I went through various things to figure out what it was. Well, finally did an MRI because it wasn't going away. All the other things except painkillers were help, right? It wasn't a thing to fix. So they found that it was a herniated disc. And then several months later, because I'm on the road all the time, I had the time to get this simple operation where they clean it out. And it's not like a replacement or a removal of any of your back parts, because I would not have that. But uh, this was a very, although I didn't realize how restrictive it would be post-surgery for a, a bit. Like I couldn't even play guitar for a week till yesterday. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, it's, so it's like, I don't want to say debilitating, because I know it's going to help. And I basically am the guy who paces around all day <laughs> in the house or wherever I am and listen to music and maybe yeah. get high and so anyway so that's uh i'm here resting until the uh super bowl with dmb which is actually probably two weeks before i'm supposed to be totally clear to do stuff but i'll just take it easy and then right after that is mexico so i may be sitting down instead of standing up for that just due to the i want to make sure this thing doesn't get fucked because it's fixed really tenderly and delicately and once it's totally healed, it's 100%. But the healing process for anything like this, uh, I mean, there's way more extreme back surgery. But anyway, mm-hmm. this one's going well, and I'm feeling better. So that's all about my back. So, yeah, I did a lot last year. It seems like an insane amount of things. Just like when you read me all those things that I did, that also seems like an insane amount of things. Because it's all like in a short, as it were, uh, overview. Uh, and to say I threw it last year was a short overview. It's madness in a way, in a beautiful way, because we love to play music. It, it don't matter. And it's not a hardship. I go on the road and I love it. But traveling and doing the other stuff is what kind of makes you get tired from being on the road. Yeah. You know what I mean? The going, the going. And, you know, I'm not, I just turned 65, but I feel like a young 65. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like a semi-cripple at the moment. Because I'm very <laughs> dilapidated, or my movements are restricted, but I have space and I live in a warm place, so I really can't complain. I'm very grateful that I was able to get this thing worked on. So back to close to the edge, which is I'm so excited to talk about that, man. I uh, unless I don't want to get off subject. Where where are we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're not off subject. I mean, you mentioned. I mean, we we will close to the edge is there's so much to unpack. And I love, I love that idea of pulling things out. Um, you know, there's so much to pull out, but I do want to ask, I mean, you've got last year and you've got this year and you just kind of tip the hat a little bit to the fact that you'll be working with Dave Matthews again. And you've obviously got some, a bunch of other stuff coming up. Is there a, you know, if you've been laid up with back surgery or back pain or whatever it is, I mean, there's a dust off period that, uh, and our musician has to go through and kind of a, how do you stay, how do you stay sharp, you know, with all that going on? I don't think that's possible yet because when I, like say during COVID, 
one is forced or, you know, to stay at home for quite a while. I played so much guitar then. Mm. It was sick, more than I ever had in my life, obviously because of the situation. But I got to the point where, you know, I was doing these YouTube videos of all these original songs for solo acoustic. And uh, I put them out, but they weren't satisfying because it wasn't like a studio recording. Mm-hmm. So eventually I got the idea to do that with TR3, which is the coolest record I've ever done. But long story short, for that time, I felt what it was like to not do anything like travel, you know? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like I got really neurotic about having to get better. Like I watched all those YouTube videos and it was such torture to try to go through five or six versions of a song and you just can't help but pick it apart. So you just try to find one you pick apart the least and they realize nobody's going to fucking pick it apart. But you, because nobody knows this music but you, you can whatever do. But you know, it was just my, my thing. So after I made all these things, which only went for, well, I guess it went on for a while. I did a bunch of different kinds of, you know, with all kind of, all different manner of combinations and stuff, which was good. But it was such a, it was good to play music but hard to do it in my living room for a visual thing that's going to be shown to people. Although that was fun to do that. But I really like to, if I'm home, I like to kind of play music intimately and write and feel that. But anyway, uh, I got to where I thought I just sucked because I watched all these videos of myself in my <laughs> mind sucking because I never <laughs> play anything perfect. You know, because oh. I know... I guess I have the knowledge of knowing how it can be, but music's only perfect if you have like, even an orchestra, if they do a song and you think that's the most amazing thing I've ever saw, somebody will say, well, that F sharp is a little flat in the violin, but nobody's going to notice, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a hundred people on the stage or whatever. But anyway, so I got really anal about thinking I sucked. So I practiced like crazy, man. Just because I felt the, probably what's the word, uh, neurotic need to not feel like I suck. And I practice yeah. so much, I know we like, you know, if you practice this much, you better get over it because you can't <laughs> do any more than this. <laughs> so you better get over it. Yeah. it. And it was kind of fun. Uh, but it was a good exercise. And when I'm home, what are you going to do? I didn't yeah. get dusty. I got on with it. I didn't, I mean, I wrote all those tunes uh, and then we recorded them last year. That's the one I was telling you about. That is the coolest thing, in a way, I think I've ever recorded, because it's so unique. Yeah. But anyway, I don't get off it's, the subject. Of- well, it, but on, in TR three, I mean, that's something that that's been. Uh, it's always been there with you in the sense of it's always been a project you've worked on and grown and expand and innovated with. Yeah. Is how does that look going forward? Is that something? I mean, if you're constantly innovating, how do you stay? Do you just, what do you follow when you start creating? Is it a new sound you want to create? Is it new, uh, a new direction? What is it? I think in the last case, because I've played a lot of electric guitar and I like playing through different amps and different guitars. But at the same time, over the years, I realized, you know, one thinks about what, what is this voice? Not my singing voice, but what is the voice of my music sound like? And I realized it's much more, that is much more cohesive on acoustic. Mm-hmm. Even though I fought that for so long because I didn't want to just do the one thing, which I won't ever do. But I realized, especially after this record, uh, how that is a thing 
they really works really well with PR3. Like, uh, I can't explain how I'm psyched about it because it presented a new way to do that. And it wasn't like trying to go, the only direction I could say was acoustic, but it's not like no normal acoustic shit. It's like for real, uh, you know, just music that moves along. Mm -hmm. You know, not everything has got it challenging thing between a three four or four four or whatever some are just basic things but they had so much emotional value at the time of writing them during like say COVID even though the album is a theme of that but that's all that music was written then during a certain period of almost like uh, not hibernation I mean it was nice here it's fucking warm all the time mm -hmm. you know but just being here and not doing much as far as traveling to play music that Somehow the vibe of that just has a unique thing, and hearing the band do it, it almost makes me emotional. Think about it; it's so yeah. connected and so uh, much feeling. Anyway, yeah, I'm really psyched about. It. Uh, it I, got, I, I also uh, use some mel. I got this Mellotron uh, earlier in the year. It's like a digital Mellotron, but it has all the Mellotron sounds. And I've had keyboards before that do strings and I've used them on records and I love I'm kind of a string nut, but I realized all my life I've been talking about just Mellotron gods. Because yeah. I love all the old records with like Genesis and yes, uh Mellotron. So I got one, all of a sudden I'm like, This is the coolest instrument next to any guitar I've had I've ever had. It's just got this sound that is my history of that era, you know? And so mm -hmm. I used some on this record and I was so psyched. Like the record before, I had bought a pedal for the guitar called a Mel 9, which kind of replicates a Mellotron, I'll say-ish, only because now I know what the difference is. But I was so psyched to have that because I just love that sound. But now to have this thing, anyway, it's only on like four tracks, but on some of the tracks, it really takes a section to another place because I before I did the record and I was putting Mellotron parts in, mm -hmm. I did my own study of my favorite Mellotron, like Genesis. And yes, and it's usually not all during a song. It's like there's a special place and all of a sudden, whoa, you know, it kind of takes it to something else for a minute. So I try to use it like that mostly, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just, I love that flavor. Like, and it's not like the loudest thing. It's just in the mix and it's like, oh, there's yeah. no, yeah, that, that would it's um i'm curious to know because you you've mentioned it, that anyone who follows your work knows um how talented you are on guitar but you also have a lot of other instruments i mean it's almost like a you know someone who speaks a lot of languages fluently what is that a polyglot uh what what are you i mean if it's not guitar what's your favorite instrument to play on and, and well use? i think it's the over the years like when i was younger i was really interested in the experience of playing certain instruments that I enjoyed having the time to do. It was usually trade one for the other and try not to have to trade your guitar for this or that. So there was always an exchange. So most of the instruments I had singly for a while, maybe once or two, but I explored for my own uh, satisfaction, a little bit of this and that, like sitar, because it's a string instrument. And I played a little mandolin because it helped me on the violin, which I had a short, experience with but if you don't really get it right it kind of sounds tortured yeah. but i really loved having this feeling of doing that like i really got into 
my favorite thing was just just go hit it out and go oh you know that sound and likewise i had to tell for a minute but i realized about a couple months into like this is a monster for you gotta get dig into the strength of bone this thing but mm-hmm. i did the same thing on that for a minute i got to feel what it was like to go oh on yeah. a cello and that that informed i guess my guitar playing you know and uh, but i kind of I didn't stick with all those things. That's why mostly the only thing I do now is maybe some percussion. And I, I just love keyboards, uh, mostly the Mellotron. Uh, and then I I don't have a piano, but I like to use piano sounds. Like in the studio, once or twice we've used a piano and they have a nice piano. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a fluent knowledge, you know, of anything. Whatever it is, I have to practice it over and over. But I do love, like... I have a stereo in the living room. My little music room is next to it, cranking some music. And I can't—I couldn't play guitar for like a week, but I could play. My, I could stand up and play the Mellotron yeah. stuff that I know, and it was just fun. You know, I had to have some kind of musical interface. But yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah. In the last many years, I'm just trying to realize when I play all those other instruments. A friend of mine said, "You know, Tim, this is really interesting that you're doing all this." But people do kind of want to see you play guitar. Because there were times when I would do a gig on another instrument, like usually a solo gig. And it was kind of cool for a while. Like, one more little story about that. When I used to play at Miller's every Monday for like many, many years. Charlottesville. Solo, you know. Like, yeah. It started out like solo jazz guitar-ish or solo strat with the facts. I really, that's how I learned how to do looping. Although at the time it wasn't called looping. It was just like put a delay on and make it repeat and jam to it, which I way got into. And but there, I guess I would take my experiments and then go to something else. So for like a year, I think, I just played sitar. That's all. Just sit, but I think it was okay. People came, I was like, hey, this dude's playing sitar. And I tried to uh, emote Indian music really hard. And I was really into how it sounded. So, you know, it wasn't like, People weren't coming, so I did that for a while. And there was this bartender, this really cool guy that worked there for a long time. Then I finally brought my guitar in and played, you know, I play guitar, jazz guitar night. And he's like, he came up to me after and goes, wow, man, I didn't know you play guitar. And I thought that was the coolest fucking thing. <laughs> because he goes, like, you can really play guitar. I'm like, oh, guitar, but, you know, you know, it was like, so I experimented for a good time with all that. I still have a tambura, which isn't really a sitar. It's just droning strings to create a drone. But it's not like something you play as much as you use to create a, that meow. You right. know, I used it on a record a longer. But anyway, the other instruments kind of taught me how to reach more on the guitar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I still like to listen to other instruments because I appreciate that when I went on all the tangents, I went into a deep dive of let's say, recordings of said instrument. Like, I really got into yo-yo ma, cello, cello suites, and, you know, string quartets, and Paganini, you know, just to go through all the brief entree into the literature of that music, which is so much of, but I was singling out Mike Paganini because he's like, whoa, that's crazy, but nobody else can do that. Mm-hmm. Except for every violinist that goes to get a, you get a class, you know, they have to, if you graduate to like some music degree to play violin, you have to play all that Paganini shit. I'm like, really? 
That's like, I, I can't imagine that. I used to listen to that and try to, I learned one or two licks and I'd be like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you mentioned, like, uh, you mentioned Miller's in Charlottesville and, and a, uh, mm. a bartender, uh, that had to be Mr. Dave Matthews, the bartender. Well, actually that wasn't him. That was before his <laughs> time. <laughs> so there's two different bartenders that came up to you about oh, your guitar playing? <laughs> there were many bartenders there, man. Like, you know, I played there uh, every Monday for a while and then many weekends with jazz combos and then eventually with TR3 on the weekends. So mm -hmm. I was there a lot because that was the place I could like walk to and make just enough money to get by. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, there were many bartenders and he came along and it was immediately, you know, very interested in music and, uh, you know, and that was really cool when we got to know each other from that. But yeah, I can't remember the other guy's name. He might've been, it's possible he was there too, but you know, Dave also, when he started bartending, was also doing acting theater stuff. So it wasn't like that's all he did. You know what I mean? He bartended, but I don't think he was there all the time. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't there all the time. So it's possible he was there all the time, but he wasn't there all the time that I was there all the time. But he okay. definitely was there. Yeah. Uh, how did you two start? How did you two start getting getting together to play? I mean, obviously you made the connection there, but where? what was the kind of yeah. thing that set it off? The one thing that got us together, because I got to know him, and I knew he lived over the walking distance of Miller's, I was talking one day about drum machines, and I didn't know how to work one, and I still probably don't. I've had a few and kind of worked them, but then I get bored because <laughs> I really drummers that do it. Although drum machines done right, and I've had fun doing them right. It's so much fun because you can get sounds that only that thing gets, like bad ass sound. Not necessarily drum sound, being like poo 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 poo, you know, not cheesy sounds either, big ass funky sounds. But anyway, I, I was interested. We're interested. In, I guess I was interested in finding out and or I'm sure the idea of let's do let's go to my house and record, like as in his house, you know, get high and fuck around. And I also was very curious because he was friendly and we already had talked about music about i was really curious about his knowledge of doing a drum machine you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i went over and we had a great night uh we made some recordings that have since disappeared that were nothing like nothing like anything either of us ever did because it was just kind of whack moments of fresh okay here's a drum machine beat let's put some crazy shit on it and we did in fact put some crazy shit on it we did one awesome kind of satan song not like it was worshiping satan but it had this sound where the vocal was pitch shifted down like Rrr. it was called uh, anyway i don't need to go into detail but that was the first experience of music and so at that time all we did was mess around with the drum machine down in his basement i played some guitar we sang i don't even know how much there was a lot of just the drum machine the wonder of that and doing some things and then I noticed he had a guitar in his house later, but all we had done was that. And he also, maybe at the first time or maybe another time I went, sat down at the piano and played some kind of really eloquent, like at the time all I could compare it to, but really not 
simple, like a Paul McCartney song on piano, like some something any real. And I was like, so my first thought is, okay, he knows how to work a drum machine. He plays piano. I see a guitar sitting over it. I didn't really think about it because I thought, well, musicians have a lot of stuff sitting around. And sometimes they play it and sometimes they play it less. So I didn't get that yet, right? But that's what I got. And we kind of hung out based on that. You know, I mean, I was at Miller's. He came and did a night in with TR3 and sang one night in Richmond. He said a video of that. You know, so yeah, that was kind of the beginning of a friendship. And we kind of played music together off and on, not in a band or anything. Uh, I remember saying to him, man, you're really so good. You should start a band. I mean, there was a thought of maybe getting a lead singer in TR3. Uh, but at the time, I was like really into TR3 being like this three-piece whatever. And I thought, this guy is so good. It's no, I didn't want to take him into that and, you know, be right. You know, I don't know. I wasn't ready to like uh, change TR3 at the time because I wanted it to be like this TR3 because it was really fresh at the time still. And I was burning on whatever weirdness we could do. It was kind of weird, but, you know, just mm-hmm. making music. And then... You know, then he did start a band. He also had some friends of mine before he had his current manager, which is also his first manager, and another guy also who kind of, I think they helped him find people they saw in him. There was another experience, I have to say, really briefly about Dave, that actually put him into the eyes of these two guys I was talking about, the manager guy, mm-hmm. as it were. There was a gig that all the jazz gigs I did, there was this group of jazz musicians and we played this kind of a show, something like a Broadway show in Charleston, big to do, you know, and it was good money. So we had a good time because uh, good gigs in Charlottesville were playing jazz. So at the time there, even though I played a lot of other things, I had a great uh, experience trying to play jazz. I mean, I did play jazz, but I always feel like I was always trying to play jazz in a pure sense, but I do love it. And I still actually study it because it's always intriguing because it so, can be so strange. So there was this big play, all these people in a the theater in Charlottesville, probably the Jefferson and maybe John Durth, who had already caught and had his eye that Dave, John Durth, the trumpet player, jazz icon of Charlottesville, still plays Miller's every Thursday because he he's all about teaching people and letting them play jazz in real time on um, experience. So I know I'm going off on tangents, but back to the thing. So we did this, <laughs> yeah, we did this play. Everybody loved it. And there was some song at the end. I don't think it was one of Dave's songs, but it was a very upbeat song that wasn't like this woman, Carol, I can't remember her last name. She had done Broadway and was very famous in that sense and there was a lot of theater people in Charlottesville that was a big uh, what do I want to say not contingent but you know a lot of people in Charlottesville in the theater like one of the guys that ran Miller's was also way in the theater so mm-hmm. it was around you know just at the street uh, so he did this song at the end of that play that I don't really know if it had much to do with the play it must have because nobody would just say here do a random song but the energy that he brought and his happy face standing up and not being Broadway, you know, not trying to do anything like that, but just doing some song. He got everybody in the place up on their feet, him and like nothing, like 
the play didn't really have that effect on anybody. It was everybody was into it because they all loved theater and Broadway, right? But he came out and it was like, boom, there's some magic and this guy just doing some song. And it, and it's also true that probably a lot of people in that theater uh, group of people in Charlottesville already knew him because he had done theater. You know right. what I mean? So it was like a very friendly, warm, receptive audience for that. And I think everybody was so psyched for him that knew when him. Would, and the people that did When would this when have been? That? That, yeah, it, when would this have been? Oh, uh, before 95, I'm pretty sure. Way before that. Mm. Before any records or anything. This is before, you know what I mean? Uh, this was before I think he even had a band. Actually, I think this was the this was the event, as it were, my words, where these two guys that I don't know if they were interested already, but they became his first managers, and eventually just one of them to this day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's had a consistency and focus and uh, ability to be long term, like. So many people that are now classic because they've been around for like 20, 30, 40 years still making records, you know. Uh, and that's something that's special in the music industry because some people can do it making the same record over and over. But yeah. some people are known for doing something like that, but also making, you know, slowly changing it up and not doing it so much that it freaks people out. And there's a, a fine art to that, I'm sure. I've never tried to do that. I just went crazy on tangent making records that are crazy because I never thought about, oh, what's a long-term effect? In a <laughs> I, I want to do this now. Right. So in a way, that this last record is kind of the best of all things that I've tried to do because it's going to be easy for people to hear it even though it's not the average acoustic record. It's like, it's got a lot of balls. Even like, it's not French. <laughs> well, what's, what's anyway, is that... that is that the direction for TR3? Because you've kind of described a lot from Charlottesville and, you know, working with Dave and getting to know Dave and, and his experiences and your experiences. And it seems like that spirit of in innovation is going to continue. Is that, is that true for TR3? Is that true for your work with Dave? I think so. Cause there's always a, a search for something a little different. Like I was looking at this David Bowie interview and it's not quite in exactly the way he describes it but a sense of moving forward and not always doing what you did, or if you are doing what you did, which after you play music for so long, you know what you did, but you also know how to make that special and still sound like you because that's your voice. You don't want to like all of a sudden people just go, who the fuck is that? Whether it's music or singing, you know? So I think we have gone to this place now uh, that I feel like advancing forward. Like I'm always recording little snippets I call it and then eventually after a year or two I put them on a CD and when I have time I start to collect things to make music and that's all this music we just did is kind of from that what I had before COVID and some of it actually created during COVID a couple songs for sure they have the vibiest vibe mm -hmm. uh, but yeah I'm kind of always keeping stuff maybe not always writing but I'm always kind of I'll be playing guitar and I'll play a lick or play something. Oh, that's good. Or sometimes I'll play it for three minutes and I'll feel like, whoa, you know, and some of the songs on the last two I tracked that are definitely from the full on experience of this whole thing from beginning to end is an improv, but that's the song. You know, I, there's a couple where I just, that was what it was. But, uh, so again, I guess if you're alive 
and you your main thing is to want to play music and they keep it fresh that you can't help but do that maybe not always as much as last year or the next day or last but you know it seems like a, that's what keeps it interesting because all the other things traveling and all that aren't as interesting at all is is the most important thing when making a record or to your personal music ear you know as a listener and enjoyer of music is vibe the most important thing I think so. I mean, you can make a song that might be technically perfect, but that might get in the way of the vibe if you've done a bunch of takes and there's some takes with a vibe. Mm-hmm. And there might be a little thing in there and you can't fix it. But you want to get, if the vibe is there, then, you know, perfection is okay. And it also depends on the song. Some things you can make perfect and you want it to be that way, but I can't play anything perfect. So yeah. if that's already window but i try really hard to make it good enough that the vibe is there and that's what this album has vibe like it's got light and dark kind of vibe which is good to balance yeah so you've got new record out for tr3 you just mentioned that there's something else coming at some point uh what else for you for 2023 oh well that's all that's all for tr3 in 23 yeah just as far as i have other music to get back to and write and go for the next thing because I'm really psyched uh, when I first got the Mellotron I wrote a bunch of things for Mellotron which wouldn't be necessarily old songs but the way that the Mellotron works for me anyway is it it's a really good thing to use in sections that yeah. make the section elevated and I wrote a bunch of things that I feel like would make great sections and then I'm collecting all these little guitar Things starting from years ago when I went on a honeymoon to Turks and Caicos, I just took my nylon acoustic and wrote a bunch of stuff on that. Which my goal is to take that and anything else that I think is a good bit on acoustic and figure out a way to combine those with the Mellotron parts to create kind of like my own version of prog rock epics that are instrumental in the same way that some of the songs on the new TR3 have when the Mellotron come in comes in at least to me i just can't i just love it i'm just way into that you know to me it sounds like my own history coming back to me in a fresh form uh, it's never something complicated it's always like a a color to add to the guitar which is already doing stuff uh so i forgot what you just asked me <laughs> <laughs> the rest of you know i, I think you're you got music coming out and it looks like you're going to tour with dave matthews a little bit i mean oh yeah it sounds like a busy year coming up for you well luckily this month isn't as busy as last year and i couldn't do it anyway because i'm recuperating from this thing but i'm also because i'm not i can't do my routine which is a couple hours each day i get up and yoga have breakfast go for an hour walk come back and chill out and have a lunch but i call it second breakfast uh and i kind of thrive on that thing because it's very healthy it keeps you active because i'm on the road all the time and i can't really do that on the road as much because you don't have time you know what i mean to get up and do that but i try to do some stuff so i don't just get stiff and not move but anyway so that got completely interrupted uh because of this thing i can't really do anything which i i'm used to because when i broke my ribs couple years ago during COVID, I couldn't do anything except walk. And I thought, well, I'm going to probably get fat because I'm not doing exercises and yoga. 
all I did was walk, but I was so neurotic about, I would walk like three hours sometimes or two hours and I get lost a lot of weight just walking. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. I mean, it was awesome. Also in COVID, we kind of stripped down our diets. I don't know if they need to do it. Just to eat totally healthy because that's my life is totally eats healthy stuff. And she finds stuff for my 64-year-old ass that tastes like it's not healthy, but it is. You know what I mean? She's a really yeah. expert yeah. at making <laughs> uh, virtual Taco Bell bean burrito tastes just like the thing, but like with a fourth of the sodium, you know, because it tastes so good because it's so full of sodium. But you can make something that tastes just as good without loading it with sodium. It's one of my uh, finest <laughs> things to eat. You know, like You'll have to share the recipe because that sounds really good. Fucking. Oh, <laughs> One of my favorite foods, man, that one thing. Because I love Mexican food. That's not necessarily the same category, but it's close enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> refried beans, I'm down with the, any kind of refried bean business. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I got to tell you, Tim, I think that is the perfect segue into our favorite, favorite part of the interview, Ched Talk. Tim Reynolds, are you ready to play Ched Talk here on the Real Wolf Record Club? What's it called? <laughs> Ched Talk. Uh, Ched, Ched is the name of our special wolf. If you go to our website, realwolfrecordclub.com, you can click on our oh, merch great. bar and you can go buy a shirt with our very own Ched the Wolf on it. Uh, so Ched, Ched join me. Okay. <laughs> it's our rapid fire question <laughs> round. Are you ready for Ched Talk? Oh, rapid fire. Yeah, man. I'm pretty buzzed. I'm ready to go, bro. Let's do it. All right. First question with Tim Reynolds here on the Real Wolf Record Club Ched Talk. Uh, Tim, Dave Matthews, bartender. Was he good or bad? The bartender? Yeah. Oh, great. And um, at the time, I personally wasn't drinking much. I just smoked a lot of weed. Uh, but I know from people that did drink, basically everybody I knew, and I don't know if I drank, but I just didn't. I was really, at that time, really just wanted to smoke weed and drink a lot of coffee. It was my thing, like Iggy Pop, you know? Yeah. So, but I know it's a great bartender because he was a, uh, what's the word? A very positive, talkative, what bartenders do. They, I don't want to say charm people, but they're very, they're very outgoing and they like to engage in people. And Miller's had a lot of people came in all the time so it was a really fun thing you know what i mean so i know he was a good bartender beyond just making drinks that i'm sure were as strong as people needed them to be uh because that's a special bartender talent you know if you had special friends and they you know my margarita might need a more tequila than the normal one but that's just you know normal anyway so yes as a bartender great Second question here on Shed Talk. Uh, we are discussing the band Yes today. Uh, what's mm. something you will always say yes to when offered? So many things. <laughs> <laughs> what will I say yes to when offered? A good cup of coffee. I don't know if that's what you're looking for. That's fabulous. Like I'm with you on that different. 100%. I like to make it special. Not super sweet, not super creamy, but just just enough. And then I... Mm, yeah. Hear that? Mm. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Yes to that. 
Uh, all right. Uh, next question here on Shed Talk. Um, many of our listeners know that one of my pandemic pastimes has been to try to teach myself to play harmonica via the internet. Wow. Uh, as a poly-talented musician, somebody who plays a lot of instruments, what's advice you would give to anyone trying to teach themselves an instrument? So I think it's starting out, you might want to pick one thing to go for and then go into that. Yeah. And I would say, regardless of what that is, learn to play with the instrument. Like, And I mean by, I still do this to this day, religiously when I can. If the, I take a lot of time doing this. Play along with a record you like. You don't really need to learn it and stop it every time. You go, what's this, what's this? Just make noise to it and see what happens. You might come up on another, oh, that works. And you yeah. might, oh, okay. Like I would say start with something simple, like a 10-minute one-chord thing of Johnny Hooper. Hooker is a great way to start. But so many people have different approaches and desires. Like if you want to play classical guitar, well, you got to go to school or get a teacher unless you're really good at figuring it out by ear. But to do it legit, I would say, that's something you need to kind of learn from somebody or a school. Mm -hmm. And you can take the major limit, you know, like you can go all the way, get a master's, doctorate, all that. So uh, I would say find out what you want to do and dive into it, but have fun with it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and that's what I always, my main thing was to do that. I mean, I definitely put on records and learned stuff when I was really young. I still do sometimes. The last thing yeah. I learned during COVID, which I have since forgot because it's a lot of music, I have to kind of bring it back. It's only in my head. Uh, it was the, what is it? Sonata, the famous Beethoven. Moonlight Sonata. Yeah, right? I learned that because it was so sad and dark. I learned it on guitar, which was quite a challenge. Uh, yeah. And by the time I got to the end of it, I was trying to write it down, but I don't write music per se. I was writing just stacks of notes on top of each other. But it has, by the time you learn, you get to the end of it, you've learned all the sections that repeat. So it's easy to go to that and then find how it repeats different. And to me, it was like a very deep dive and a very satisfying thing to get into that vibe. To me, that was the vibe of that era. Being in my house in the darkness. Boom. Oh my God. I, I get chills yeah. thinking about it. Well, I mean, so I guess what I'm hearing you say, Tim, is for a amateur harmonica player, I should learn okay. Moonlight Sonata. That's what no, I heard you no, say. No, no, no. <laughs> there would just be a lot of trouble. Although, if, you'd have to get a chromatic one to figure out how to play in a lot of different keys. Yeah. In a very short time. Well, but I'm sure uh, Toots Tillman could maybe try that because he was one of the great jazz harmonica players that played like fucking crazy bebop. Yeah. Uh, which is insane on harmonica. But anyway, yeah. yeah, I think go with the blues there with the harmonica uh, and the guys that just play the nastiest shit, maybe one note. Like the way that Bonnie Raitt plays one note on the slide guitar is like the sickest shit. Yeah. Because she slides it around and it's like, ow, ow. When I was really studying slide a couple of years ago, we did a gig and I remember she was playing after us and I was just listening to all the, she didn't know a lot, but what it is, it's magic, you know, and it's like something that she learned from the sh people that make that shit 
you know, the original cats, he really learned it like hands on, you know, and you can hear that. And I was just most impressed by just that. Yeah. Like, I was just like, can you hear that? Fuck. <laughs> I remember uh, the last, next time I played slide solos, they were like one note, just go, you know, it's one note trying to make it happen, you know, like they, they kind of, uh, it's like singing or Miles Davis plays that like on trumpet. He doesn't use vibrato, he bends notes and he doesn't play, he can play a lot, but the best things he does is just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's some special that he purposely did not do vibrato because that was what everybody else did. Yeah. Well, kids, you heard it here first from Tim Reynolds. If you're going to play a instrument, start with the Moonlight Sonata. Learn to bend and play like Miles Davis and Bonnie Raitt. Uh, next question here on Chet Talk. I'm almost afraid for this answer. Uh, Tim Reynolds, oh are aliens real? No. I mean, okay, I can't rule it out, but I'm not searching for that. I lived in New Mexico. I went to fucking Roswell. That is a joke. Now, there's scientific research trying to figure out if that's so. And I think it's great if that's so. I think it's still a big if. But I also think it's pretty likely, given the size and depth and time of the universe, just as it is now, not to mention all the time in the future that is going to be way beyond anything we can comprehend if it's so lasts that long seems to be uh i don't look for aliens i think it would be so cool way fucking cool because i was way into that idea for so long i still sign my name with the flying saucer but i think there's a whole bunch of stuff about flying saucers uh and the only flying saucers that were real that actually did that were made by the germans pre-world war ii because they were experimenting with different ways of flight. But that's all I know about real flying saucers. Tim, that was perfect. Oh, I love uh, to play it because that was so <laughs> interesting so long. Yeah. I could go into that. Ben, well, let, let's let's tabulate the numbers though. Ben, uh, crunch the numbers there. We got a lot of information from Tim. Did he win or lose Ched Talk here today on the Radio Freak? Looks like uh, definitely win. That is a solid win, too. Max points. That's a win. Max points. You just won so Chad Talk. How do you figure real out? <laughs> My question is, how do you figure out that that was a win? It's always because a people win. People respond to it. It's always a win. <laughs> we covered all kinds of them. That was perfect. That was a uh, oh, another cool. win. Yeah, the question is. Tim, let's talk about one of the things you're here to talk to us about, which is this just absolute epic of a record, which is, yes, close to the edge. Um I I have a hard time sometimes figuring out where to start. And, you know, Ben is much smarter than I am. Ben just says, hey, start, put a good pair of headphones on and start to finish and go and just let it play. And I'm, I'm curious, there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm curious to know, um, you know, what what is everybody's favorite moment on this record? Because there's three tracks in the sense that we think of tracks, but it's hard to say one's better than the other. You like one more. I mean, there's, there's time signatures, you know, I mean, what's your favorite part uh, if you had to isolate maybe a, a spot or a section that you enjoy the most on this? Wow, that's, a good, that's a good question. And then when I answer that question, I'll tell you my first experience with it. Cause that's a, to me, the most amazing, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Uh, 
I know there's a lot of busy stuff, and that's what intrigues me, starting with the very beginning all the way to the end with Siberia and Katru. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part, in a way, is in, in You and I, where they do this big section with the melatonin, where it's like, da, 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 da. That huge yeah. section to me is like fucking God. Because it set, they set it up, you know? Uh, so to me, that's got everything. It's got everything I love about that band. Bill Bruford laying down a fat beat, not playing anything but the groove, and that's what you do. And Rick Lakeman playing the fucking Mellotron, and it's just a moment of Mellotron magic, Mellotron gods, man. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like the most uplifting moment of the thing. I mean, there's many on that record. But that's great that you asked that question because I never thought about it. But I've been listening. I listened to it a couple times recently, just thinking, now is this still my favorite record? I listen to it a lot. And I listen to it a couple times, like, oh, yeah, because I never get tired of it. I try not to play it too much because I don't want to get tired of it because I appreciate it totally, like, with my whole everything. So that's the moment for me where it reaches its kind of the soul of the vibe, even though the vibe is insane. There's a moment where the calm of the inner, whatever they sing about, you know, the mm-hmm. inner vibe comes out. With, I mean, in the drums, you know, the drums do like a, a big reverb. And, yeah. it, and it's not really, it's just beautiful melody. And it's very much in the heart, you know. Yeah. What was your first experience with the record? I mean, it's it's been around, oh. what, 72 it came out. It was the fifth record by the band yeah. after Fragile. What was your first experience with this record? Oh, I'll tell you the story because to me it's one of the amazing stories of my life, and that's how I always tell it. So, right about that time, a couple, a year or so before, I just started getting into yes. It took a minute because it was so weird compared to Led Zeppelin and all your more or less rock '70s stuff, right? And so my my doorway into their music, and then I was just pow, was a song, uh, long distance runaround. And then I always thought, well, that's so clean and technical sounding i got yes live which blew my mind because it was more raw even though the recording of it is not as pristine as all their studio records where they really you know dialed in like science just all the sounds they were magical so i was already in right i remember one of the first times doing acid i used to be downstairs rocking the rocket show with headphones you know listening to Heart of the Sunrise and hearing Bill Bruford's drum bit at the beginning where they do the build up and I'm just like seeing little beautiful colors and shit. So I was already way into yes, right? So I mean it was like I had just got into them like wow, this is maybe my new favorite band. So KC Radio, St. Louis FM radio at the time was so, so cool. They were like the the ultimate quintessential early 70s F radio. Hey, it's KC95, real rock radio. You know what I mean? So yeah. they were doing a new album would come out and they'd play the whole thing because they could, right? I remember the night they said, well, we have a new record by Yes. It's called Close to the Edge. We're going to play it tonight at whatever time of day it was, you know, nine o'clock. And then I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and I put on headphones and I went, I went on a journey, bro. So... Wow. And the experience of that, I don't know if I did ask it while I listened to it, it didn't matter. I was already in because of 
I was just in big time to yes. And I was truly eating up fragile in the yes house. And so, and there were a lot of other things I loved. Soul music. I ain't gotten into jazz yet, but you know, all the stuff that was before, you know, I got into other music, but that just blew my mind. And I loved every minute of the first listen. Sometimes things like that are weird like that take a minute because they're so weird, right? Man, I was in right then because I was so hungry for more of that music that already kind of still to this day. And yes, I'm fragile, close to the edge. And even the other two, which aren't as strong, but I just, I have a prejudice because I love Bill Bruford so much. Mm-hmm. But Alan White is also a great, great drummer. Every time I saw Yes, he played drums and he's great. But there's something special about Bill Bruford. It's just his tone, the way he tunes the snare drum and his kind of zen. Sometimes he'll hit the one, but instead of the bass drum, he'll play the snare. But you don't notice it until you've heard it for many years. And you're like, whoa, he did that. Whoa. You know, so anyway, uh, I had this experience of hearing that that I'll never forget. I mean, imagine putting it on hearing this at the beginning. You know, it's like rain and mm-hmm. And then it's total fucking chaos. But it's very organized and planned out, you know took years to figure out why does it sound so insane when he's doing insane guitar parts and the drums and the bass because real quick when the whole time it's going crazy chromatic nervous sounding lick that makes that whole section sound like it's insane but that's a you know it took me years to figure out man that part is so insane because i'm always focused on the guitar bass and drums and i always you know the keyboards but i was always why is that so crazy <laughs> and like, oh, it's Rick Lakeland doing a crazy man thing for the mm-hmm. whole intro. You know? Oh, but man, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I can still get excited, almost emotional about that. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious, you know, Ben, you this is some an album that you have some familiarity with. You've mentioned yes on this this podcast before. What is your experience with it and what's your favorite moment? Yeah, I've I've listened to yes quite a bit. Um I'd consider myself a fan. I, I own some Yes on vinyl. I dig the prog rock sound. Um, yeah. I have to say, I had some familiarity with it, and, and, and You and I is still an all-time favorite song for me. So when I have to talk about a moment on this album, I have to talk about the very beginning of In You and I. Oh, yeah, and There's yeah. this <laughs> really super, like... Uh, just otherworldly harmonics that they play on the guitar and it just starts to transport you. And I, I, I listened through this whole song and it, it's my favorite song. If you were going to, you know, pick one out of three of, of the songs, but it, it just has this, these soaring vocals that I love, but it, it has this feel to it, this weight, this immensity, but it's also so right. tender. It's almost like, you, it, it simultaneously feels like you're in the vastness of space, but it's held in the palm of your hand. It's just this tiny, yeah, intricate, but vast sound. And I, I, it just, it blows my mind every time I listen to it. And I was very excited, uh, Tim, that you picked this album because it made me dive right back into that and just be transported. And it, it's, it's a great feeling. And for anyone that hasn't listened to this album, it's a must listen. But yeah. I mean, to the both of you, because but I, I will tell you, I enjoyed this album a lot. Um, 
it's not, I would didn't have a ton of familiarity with it, but my, I was immediately struck to use your word, Ben, uh, the immensity of it. I mean, and I guess to you, Ben and Tim, you guys are both big, big fans. Is that the, I don't want to say charm, like it's a, like not a thing, but is that what makes this album so special? Is that it is so vast? That is its immensity. I mean, I said it was epic in the sense of it truly sounds like it would be the soundtrack to an epic, a Scandinavian epic or a Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. Is that what makes this album work? Uh, I had my one word. My one word for this album was epic. And it's it's just something, like I said, it's it's one of those albums that transports you and it it takes you from where you are and lets you wander it, it you know you can you can go anywhere else it, it it has the that immensity and uh that's the the part the the experience of listening to this and the feeling of this album i think is what sets it apart for me from others yeah it's got like uh sometimes i use the phrase when describing things zen is zen is in zen zen is fuck uh mm-hmm. this album even though it's built on a lot of chaos what you were just seeing the immensity of it creates in a way a simple idea that you get when you when you know it you know what i mean the whole thing personified in a way by and you and i as the kind of calm center of the whole thing like a zen meditation because mm-hmm. everything's crazy in the world in a way to me that's like that album is zen like i could say zen is fuck but that doesn't work for describing yes but zen yeah. like almost zen chaos but it's not really chaos it's it's very organized chaos that is made to sound like chaos but once you learn it you realize it's a beautiful thing that's not really chaos it's just represent i don't know if it represents it just represents the, the time and there are really unique interpretation and creation that they were about at that time they kind of reached their highest focal point and bill bruford left because it was so intense of an experience mm-hmm. that i think he didn't he kept thinking that he wanted to do stuff live and they kind of put that together with a lot of different pieces because they had this big plan about it which mm-hmm. to me at the end Sounds pretty great. <laughs> Why'd yeah. you quit, Bill? But, you know, yeah. Bill Booth the creative member. <laughs> he moved on and did King Crimson and majorly kicked ass in that band. Yeah. So, um, you know, a necessary tanning, yes. Transformed, Share the Tales, which is great. And then Relayer, which is almost as zen as Close to the Edge. And it's an attempt to kind of go back to that long form, short form. And I really do like that album a lot. It's amazing. But Close to the Edge just stands on a different plateau or something it just and i think also the way it came at the time it's just like it landed like something from the cosmos into Mm -hmm. my ears as a young boy and sitting on a rocking chair you know on headphones just going what is happening here (laughs) (laughs) and being beautiful by you know yeah. And I think that's what, I mean, that's, that's what great music and great albums does, whether it's on a grand scale, like, like I think yes has accomplished here with the immensity, with the yeah. universal and yet somehow very personal sound they've created here. Uh, and sometimes it's albums that work in the sense that you enjoy them or you appreciate them or you come back to them. They work because they don't do that because they feel only one thing, which might be very personal or unique to oh, that. Sure. But, um, I, you know, I, what I, what I love to do, and I can't wait 
to to hear what Ben has for us here. One of our favorite segments is is uh, Ben is a former wedding DJ, and he loves to pull out little things to uh, put together on a playlist. So I cannot wait to hear what we have in store. Ben, please, oh, with boy. the album, yes, put it on. Joe's speaking of personal sounds, this is your personalized playlist. And I'm going to give you, before I get into the name of this playlist, I'm going to give you just a tad bit of the cutting room floor. I thought initially Interstellar, so a progressive rock, and yes, in particular, have this kind of otherworldly outer space vibe. I thought, let's let's mix in some other songs that have that same vibe. I decided yeah. against it. I thought just simply progress, you know, solid progressive rock playlist with that just seemed sure. too simple, too plain. So what I ended up with is a playlist called Long, Long Man. And <laughs> I'll give you a reason. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. But it's a playlist of songs that are at least nine minutes long. So they have to have this epic scale and quality. But the inspiration sure. is drawn from a series of 11 commercials for this Japanese candy company. And it's for something called, I think it's Sakuru, S-A-K-E-R-U, gum. And the commercials tell this entire love story with twists and turns and a heavy dose of humor uh, throughout these 11 short commercials. And uh, I'll, I'll post it on our social and people can check it out. But it's, it's fantastic. So this is the inspiration. The, the character in there is called Long, Long Man. It's little small pieces of gum versus very long pieces of gum. But it's, it's funny. You should check it out. But what I put on there was yes, and you and I, uh, you know, ten minutes, twelve seconds, epic, emotional, exceptional, great song. Not to be outdone, uh, Rush uh, put out twenty one twelve, which is twenty minutes and thirty three seconds. Uh, it has a whopping seven movements, and it's more than double the length of in you and I. I had to get on some Zeppelin, so put in a Kelly's Last Stand, ten minutes twenty six seconds. I'm going to put out there as well uh, a song called The River by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, an awesome <laughs> band that I is one of my recent obsessions. Um, but this album is, is really cool. It's called Quarters, and it's divided into four equal uh, four songs with an equal amount of time, 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Um, one, one more. This one's just for you, Joe. Uh, Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick, longest song on this album, 43 minutes, 50 seconds. This song is thick. And uh, you know finally, I got just two left. <laughs> I got just two left. I have to, I have to put this song on here. And it was why I made it nine minutes and not 10 minutes for the qualifier. But I'm going to put on Dave Matthews Band and Tim Reynolds' Warehouse from... It, the the album that Joe mentioned at the the outset of this uh, this recording, uh, live at Luther College, um, one of the best live albums in my opinion ever recorded, and many a Dave Matthews band opinion uh, Dave Matthews band fan opinion as well, and then finally you got to close it out with the end by the Doors, clocking in eleven thirty five, and that's gonna end our yeah, playlist. Yeah, yeah. I love the <laughs> well, that's the idea is, is Ben pulls together uh, things that might not seem 
like they're the same and maybe they're not, maybe they are, but you can check out all of our playlists at realwolfrecordclub.com. We've got links to playlists, both. I think you can find them on Spotify and, and wherever you get your playlists or your streaming music. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a record overall. Yes. Close to the edge. This is a record that it's grand in its scope. It's um, it has crescendos. It has hooks. It has melodies. It has um, hints and outright, blatant statements you can take this album in any number of ways um and and for me it's something that i personally love i love about bands like you know whether it be dave matthews band or or pearl jam or the grateful dead or bands that have a just vast expanse either by virtue of live shows or by virtue of how idiosyncratic their sound can be and this is a band that you can't just listen to it once even if you hated it on the first listen you will go back and you will say, all right, I got to dig up more. I got to see what else is here. And I think that's what really, really makes this record work. Um, for our listeners who are maybe sick of listening to, to, you know, some guy on a podcast, me um, saying, I want more Tim Reynolds. Let's Tim, we rank this album on a record scale, meaning as a record collector, there's some records you buy and they're so bad that you bury them. Some records oh, yeah. you you uh, you'd like, but you don't need to own them, so you just borrow them. Some albums you want to buy them, you you like them, but you you know you just need one copy. And then some albums you are gonna wear out, so you buy it again. Meaning you're gonna buy it on vinyl, you're gonna buy it on CD, you're gonna buy it on streaming, Bandcamp, wherever you might find it. So bury it, borrow it, buy it or buy it again. How do you rank close to the edge by yes? For me. <laughs> yeah, Tim Reynolds. Everybody wants to hear from you, not me. <laughs> One to ten or something. It's it's just uh would you buy it again? I mean, this is an album you probably own in many, many capacities. I it every I keep buying it because uh it hasn't happened for a while, but they keep coming out with like I have to say better versions, right? Yeah, uh, they came out with more that extended stuff and I got the record that fucking Great, but then this uh, and they get the tales and really a guy, who's the guy from the John Wilson? He does these, he goes in the least, yes, I know he does this stuff, and he goes back to the original recording tapes that are on analog and he goes back, he doesn't really mix them, but he strips them of all the, not all the analog stuff, of all the stuff that. Isn't the pure sound of what we're like in the studio, like close or whatever, right? And so, uh, my latest copy of Yes, Close to the Edge is kind of remastering, I guess you could say, is better than the record band. That's only because yeah. I'm a geek about it. I do yeah. love the record because that's still that experience. But when I listen to it at home, I go for this one because everything's a little more pristinely clear. You know, at first when you hear it, it almost sounds too dry, but when you listen to it, it's like not dry. It's just so pristine. And yeah, there's the Yes album that was uh, remastered by Stephen Wilson, you know, a few years back. So I keep buying it when it comes out with a a new thing. I'm always curious, you know? Yeah. They did that with, yeah, I have a couple of those. I wish he would do some Genesis. Mm. But he hadn't touched that. I don't think they want to. I think they have their own guy. And when they remaster stuff, they want it to sound different, like they want it to sound, which is fine. I rebelled against it for a while. And then I was like, well, 
the drums are really badass on these remixes, though. You know, because they make it more like, um, anyway, let's not go off on a tangent. One real quick aside. You know how we describe the experience of hearing close to the edge of headphones in its entirety yeah. and never forget it? The only other experience I've had like that was with Thick as a Brick. I remember the guy saying, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have a new album. It's a long one. Big as a brick, and they put it on. Here's the whole thing, one setting, boom. So I, it's I wouldn't, you know, it's not my favorite as much as both of the guys, but it's my favorite Jeffrey Soul for sure. And of that era, it really worked in a. He really got the prog bit, and you know, he learned how to make a lot of you know, you know, he's in notes, but also keeps these beautiful. I love his acoustic guitar playing; it's just sweet, mm-hmm. sweet, sweet. But anyway, well, that's there, and he. Yeah. And I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, this is one where if you haven't bought it yet, you're going to buy it again. Uh, You're going to buy it. You're going to buy it to get more of what works because the scale and immensity of it is what works. Um, I'm definitely a buy it. I got to dip my toe in and dig a little deeper and swim a little deeper, but I have so digged, dug. So I've dug, I've so dug what I listened to so far. Uh, Ben, where are you at? You get the last word on this. Where are you at on this album? Yeah, I already own this on on vinyl, so I'm already in that solid buy it category. But this was one for me that uh, I'm gonna go with the buy it again, one to buy or one to one to wear, one to share. So someone's gonna be getting this album as a gift from me soon. I just gotta. It's one of those things where I have to sh- I have to share it. I gotta pick out the right person that I think will really sit down and oh, dig yeah. it and enjoy it. But um, I think I need to share that experience with somebody who doesn't know about it yet. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. I love that. Well, Tim, we want to thank you. Uh, I, I do want to say you mentioned Genesis. You mentioned a bunch of albums. We'd love to have you back on the show to talk about another one of those great albums. So Genesis or Jethro oh, or whatever you're yeah, thinking, man. you're always welcome here Boom, on the Real, Real Wolf Record Club. Um, hey, what, yeah, I can go deep in stuff that I really like and probably more than necessary, but... <laughs> No, I mean that's what we're we're music lovers. We I, we appreciate just the the art of it and the detail and and so anytime a guest says, "Hey, let's talk about a record," we're game because that's what that what's that's what keeps us keeps us young. How about that? A young sixty five, a young almost forty. There you go. Um, TimReynolds.com is that where the best place for people to find out about what you're doing this year? You're touring with Dave Matthews, the Super Bowl apparently, yeah. uh, TR3, all kinds of stuff. Is that the best place to track you down? I think so. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, all our listeners, please, please, please check out Tim Reynolds uh, at his website, TimReynolds.com. Check him out on tour. Check him out with Dave. Check him out with TR3. Check him out with all the great things that he is doing. Uh, he is one of the great, great, great musicians of our last 40 years. Um, you can check us out and be part of the club. Everybody's involved. Everybody's encouraged on the on the Real Wolf Record Club to join in. Follow us on social at Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club. Go to our website, realwolfrecordclub.com. You can find information on our guests, episodes, merchandise, all the good stuff that makes you a part of this club. Uh, as always, until next time, this is the Real Wolf Record Club. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club podcast, a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. This show is produced by Ben Head and hosted by Joe Vantomi with musical credits to the incomparable Laserbeak. 
Follow us and join the club on Instagram at RealWolfRecordClub or on Twitter at RealWolfRC. Check out our website at RealWolfRecordClub.com to find all our episodes, guest information, playlists, and merch created by Ward Sutton. Join us next episode when the Real Wolf Record Club goes full Swifty and we discuss 2020's Folklore by Taylor Swift.